to the 94 Feet Report. I'm your host, as always, Eric Spropolis. Today is June 20th, uh, and in today's episode of the 94 Feet Report podcast, we're going to have uh, a long-time-running guest on the show, Duncan Smith, back to talk about the past season that just finished, the 2016-17 NBA season. We're going to talk about the draft, we're going to talk about free agency, uh, we're just going to talk about a lot of topics. I know we haven't had a show in about two months, so it's nice to have a, a nice lengthy episode with a guy who really knows his basketball in Duncan Smith, editor of Piston Powered, editor at 16 Wins Ring, and recently appointed host of uh, Locked on Pistons. So always great to talk with Duncan. Uh, but before we get into that uh talk with Duncan. I'm going to talk a little bit more about what we're going to do and, and the changes coming to the 94 Feet Report because there are a lot of them coming July 1st. If you follow the show on Twitter at the 94 Feet Report or if you follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros, you've noticed that I've been sending out a bunch of of teasers for July 1st, and that's because we're going to transform the 94 Feet Report podcast into a full-fledged website with other written content and other podcasts included. So this website will be launching on July 1st. We're going to cover anything and everything NBA, EuroLeague, uh, G League now as as the developmental league has changed names. We're just going to cover a lot of... uh, a wide variety of NBA topics, uh, especially free agency, because we are launching July 1st, which is the first day of free agency. So, you know, over the past month, I've been recruiting a nice team. I've got a team of about 15 to 20 of writers, other podcasters, some editors, and we're, we're just, you know, brainstorming ideas for unique NBA content to deliver to the audience. So that will be launching July 1st. Um, you know, we've been working really hard as a team for this launch date and on this website. So we're really excited for it. July 1st, the 94 Feet Report website launches. And of course, follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros or follow the show on Twitter or actually now the site on Twitter at the 94 Feet Report and stay tuned for July 1st, the launch of the new 94 Feet Report website. With that being said, let's get into our interview and discussion with Duncan Smith, editor of Piston Powered, 16 Windsor Ring, and host of Locked On Pistons. And we are now joined by Duncan Smith, editor of Piston Powered and 16 Windsor Ring, as well as recently appointed host of Locked On Pistons. Duncan, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Eric. How about yourself? Doing pretty well. Can't complain. We were just talking before we started the recording about how crazy the offseason has uh, has kind of gotten off to uh, as a start you know I was just telling you that we only are basically eight days away from the finals ending and yet it feels like a month ago with all these Paul George rumors the Cavs um, you know letting go of David Griffin which we'll talk about and obviously the trade involving the number one pick between the Celtics and 76ers which we also will talk about because we're going to be talking about a a wide variety of topics uh, in today's episode of the 94 feet report but before we get into kind of projecting the future or talking about future events let's just kind of have a brief kind of discussion um, about the 2016-17 season Uh, I just wanted to get some of your favorite games or moments from this season whether that be Pistons or league-wide and then we can just talk about some other things that occurred during this past season Uh, I think league-wide I would say that probably like my favorite non-Pistons game would have to be the the Rockets game against the Knicks on New Year's Eve where I don't remember his exact his exact line, but uh, Harden was responsible for 95 total points. Uh, what was it like 53, 17, and 16? I think something like that. Yeah. Um, I did a little. I, I did a breakdown for 16 wins ring the day after that game, and uh, Harden was completely on point all game long. He. Uh, I'm pretty sure that Lance Thomas still has nightmares about <laughs> doing whatever he wants all he belonged to him. It was, uh, it was magnificent. It was truly spectacular. Um, as for the Pistons, I do have a couple of games that really stand out. There was a 20-point 
uh, late third quarter comeback against the Raptors in Toronto. Mm. Um, you know that got as bad as it did because the starters were like completely inept as they were for most of the season. Uh, so I mean, it's it's not a memory without some uh, some <laughs> pain attached as well. Uh, but that was a, a great moment. There was another game against the Charlotte Hornets that uh, was another big comeback, and uh, Tobias Harris, Marcus Morris, Ish Smith, and KCP um, were pretty magnificent for the, the entire fourth quarter and overtime. And uh, KCP, I think, scored 20 points in the fourth quarter and overtime. He shut Kemba Walker down for the final couple minutes of the fourth quarter. You could just see it in Kemba's eyes. Like, he just he just didn't know what to do with KCP's defense. And uh, it, was, it was something that I hoped that we're going to see as uh, as a Pistons fan. It's something that I hope that we're going to see more regularly out of uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope because it's something that we – know for a fact that he's capable of doing um, just like locking down an elite point guard in the way he did while uh, while writing threes to the other end so yeah I'd say it was a a season that had some pretty great moments yeah and, and for a season that had a pretty dull postseason for the most part um, it was nice to have a really good regular season at least in my opinion a really good regular season both kind of on the individual performance level and on the team performance level you know those games uh, you know Cavs Wizards that uh, I think it was a double overtime game maybe or maybe a single overtime game um, where LeBron hit that ridiculous after Kevin Love threw that three quarter length pass and LeBron just t- t- turned around and banked it off the glass um, or that Cavs Celtics game I think it was in March that also was, I think was an overtime game where Kyrie Irving just kind of took over in that fourth quarter with like some layups that we just haven't seen in like years um and then of course you know from rockets perspective there were a bunch of great moments they had uh two nine game winning streaks um including that really great double overtime win in golden state which is kind of when people started kind of taking them seriously so i just think there was just kind of great to have a really good regular season for a league that you know, this postseason was pretty bad, and I'm not saying future postseasons will be as bad, but it is possible with the dominance of the Warriors and the Cavs. Um, so kind of speaking to that dominance, you know, a lot of people have been talking about after the Warriors beat the Cavs pretty comfortably in the finals in five games, a lot of people asking the question, you know, are the Warriors good for the league? And there are a lot of perspectives to take on that question, you know, ratings, fan interest, you know, parody and stuff like that. So what is your take? Are the Warriors good for the NBA? Um, I think that it's mostly just those of us who are like really plugged in and tuned in and following all the minutia. I think it's really just us that thinks that not not that all, across the board we all think that the Warriors are bad for the league, but I think it's really just in sort of that subsection that mm. um, that it's thought that the Warriors are bad for the league. Like um, like you said, the ratings are up. Um, it's I think what's What's a, a better question? Maybe is are the Warriors interesting? And the Warriors are very interesting. <laughs> um, I think that like their their dominance is one of the things mm-hmm. that is forcing like this uh, frenzied, crazed off season where you've got uh, the Celtics, who I would say this deal possibly uh, the, the deal between them and the Sixers might be an indicator that they're like kicking the can down the road another mm-hmm. year or two. Um, it's Forcing the the Cavaliers to try and go all in uh, for one more run, possibly the last run of the second LeBron era. Um, I think that it's introducing a an element of chaos in that it's forcing teams to decide whether they're going to go for broke right now, uh, like truly for broke, <laughs> uh, or or if they're going to like 
like overtly, um, you know, push push their, their timetable down the road. And I think it's really interesting seeing teams make that decision, uh, like right right now. You know, like right now, like mm-hmm. their general managers on the phone, uh, acting out uh, a, a timeline that has been basically dictated to them by how incredibly dominant the Warriors are. And I think that's incredibly fascinating. Uh, that, that rather than like just focusing on like whether there are six teams in the NBA who have a chance at winning a championship, which there's never been. Um, or uh, you know, or how many teams can push the Warriors to six games, which there probably aren't any, um, you know, other than the Cavaliers. Um, I think that uh, we're seeing a pretty dramatic restructuring of at least personnel around the league uh, about to come, and I think that's truly fascinating. Yeah, you kind of took one of my uh, questions that I had later in, in our uh, plan later for the podcast uh, already. Um, I, I couldn't leave it alone. I couldn't leave it alone. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> it is the appropriate time to talk about it. Um, so basically, um, you might have seen this, but uh, basically right after Game 5 of the finals, I threw out a poll on Twitter asking Rockets fans if they would trade James Harden this offseason to build for the future to kind of wait out the Warriors and the Cavs, hypothetically, but mostly the Warriors in the West. And... Um, at first, it was, um, you know, when that initially first couple of hours that poll was up, it was almost, it was around 60-40 no, which is high, 40% saying yes, they would trade him. Eventually, I kept it open for, I think, two days, and eventually got up to, like, 80% said no, we'll keep him, and 20% said yes. But it is an interesting question. These teams, the Rockets, the Thunder, you know, you see the Bulls, uh, um, you know, even the Pacers now have their own Paul George problems. But these teams that are, you know, you know, in the case of the, Thunder and Bulls and Pacers, they're, you know, mediocre, um, but they could get better. In the case of the Rockets, you know, they were a 55-win team, but no one really considered them a true, true contender. Um, so it's one of those interesting things where these teams with with stars or superstars, depending on how you want to classify those players, and a bunch of other good role players and good pieces around them, you know, they are facing this question. You know, these stars are in their prime and soon to be out of their prime in the next, you know, two or three years. Um and there doesn't really seem to be a viable path to contention with the Warriors, especially in the Western Conference, but even the Cavs, too, in the East. So it's one of those things. It's, as you said, it's very fascinating to see how these teams, you know, take a step back and say, we've got a, a star in his prime, and we can continue to try and win, but maybe that, at best, gets us to the Western Conference Finals, you know, in, in one to two years, or um, for one to two trips to the Conference Finals. But, you know, I, I think a lot of these front offices kind of are realistic and understand we're not going to beat the Warriors unless we assemble another super team, which is extremely hard to do because a lot of teams don't have a lot of cap space this summer and would take a lot of manipulation. So I think that whole question of, you know, if you're a team with like one star that is a pretty good to a great team, depending on, you know, the Rockets and the Thunder and the Bulls and the Pacers, you know, do you continue to build around that star or, or do you trade that star and build for the future? And I think it kind of depends on the team, the city, the player, um, you know, what's your take on that? If you were some of these teams, for example, you know, I think in my opinion, personally, it's just really hard to kind of sell that if you tr- if you trade away that star. Um, maybe not in the case of, obviously, the Pacers now uh, and the Bulls probably, but it's really hard for, you know, the Rockets to say, you know, we're going to trade James Harden. We're openly going to just wait a couple of years. You know, it's hard to sell that to the fans. Um, so you know, what is your take on teams that have basically one star that are semi-competitive, you know, building for the future versus competing and trying to compete and build around that star right now. Um, well, I think you know it's a it's a really bad time to have a really good team right now. You know, yeah. um, the the thing is, like, if you want to build a team that can compete with the Warriors, you have to build the best basketball team that's ever played. Mm-hmm. You know, like 
Um, I think that from a realistic standpoint, there's no shame in uh, in a general manager or an organization taking an honest look at their roster and saying, we've got a, a pretty decent team where we've got like a, a team with some potential down the road, um, but we don't have a team that is you know on par with the 2017 Golden State Warriors or the 1996 Chicago Bulls, which is really what it takes uh, to be like on that that top tier um, in the league right now. So, in order to be able to make a decision like that, you know, to be able to to push off your timeline a couple of years, I think it not only takes like organizational fortitude, but it also takes like a fan base that is I don't want to say intelligent, but that is uh, steeped in like how this works. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like it's just because an organization is willing to to do what it takes to you know rebuild, strip down to the to the, the skeleton basically, and then you know move on from there and grow from there. Um, just because an organization is willing to do that, um, I mean, we can look at like what happened with the Sixers and the NBA essentially uh, pressing them to, to accelerate this thing and move on from Inky. Um, even though the fan base there was more or less, I think, pretty well invested in the process being the right move for specifically that that uh, that organization. Uh, you know, even there, there were possibly outside forces that basically negated. Um, fortunately, they had the, the Sixers had this massive stockpile that even um, even this move is, is still going to apparently probably show some fruit, you know, but. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really tough time to, to be sort of in that no man's land where uh, you've got a good team that most of the time you would think would be able to compete with other top teams in other eras, but uh, this is not other top teams, and I think that uh, I think that teams that are really really good right now, uh, barring Golden State injuries, are really just going to be like tapped at being really really good and uh, being like at best. You know, Western Conference Finals or Eastern Conference Finals fodder to the Warriors and the Cavs for at least the next couple of years. Yeah, and that, and that's the thing. It's kind of unfortunate that we have all these star players that are in this era where it's basically all about rings, and these players probably won't even make the NBA Finals. You know, obviously some of them have already in terms of Westbrook and Harden, um, but you know they won't probably make the NBA Finals on their prospective teams as their leaders of their prospective teams. They're going to continue to win a lot of games probably, put up a lot of great numbers, maybe make a conference finals trip or two, especially in terms of the Rockets who are, who are pretty close to that kind of you know, level. Um, but they're ultimately probably going to be fodder for the Warriors or Cavs barring injuries, barring significant trades or free agency signings in the next year or two, or maybe something crazy happens with the Warriors, you never know. But it is really tough um, for these teams, and I think that the safest bet for them is to try and continue to keep the star, build somewhat around them, but also don't sacrifice the future. Just kind of stay on that path where you're not really going all in, but you're not stripping down. So just kind of continuing on that same path, which is still tough to do um, because you're kind of stuck in no man's land in terms of building for a uh, contender versus building for the future. But speaking of the future... Let's look ahead to the draft. This Today's June 20th. The draft is in two days. I know it seems I mean, we've had so many rumors and so many updates about the draft and obviously this new trade that happened, uh, but it is still two days away and free agency is still over a week and a half away, so that's completely crazy. But 
What are your thoughts on the Celtics 76ers trade? Yeah, it's hard to evaluate a trade involving draft picks and soon-to-be rookies because we, you know, we have to give them a couple years to see how the, the draft picks turn out and how the rookies turn out. Um, but what were, your, what were your initial thoughts on the trade for both teams? I think Lance, I like it for both teams. Uh, the Celtics aren't sold on Markel Fultz. Uh, the Sixers seem to be sold on him, and um, I think that he fits pretty well with what, they're, with the, what the Sixers want to do. Um, you know, they're in need of a point guard who is not uh, T.J. McConnell, for one thing. Um, you know, I, I know that this uh, deviates from their intention of putting, uh, putting Ben Simmons at the point, but uh, considering Simmons isn't much of a shooter, maybe this is uh, a better fit for, like, their, from, for the, for a reason, from, pardon me, let's try that again. From a realistic standpoint, that might be a better fit for what the Sixers are or should be trying to do. Um, as for the Celtics, you know, if they're not sold on, uh, if they're not sold on faults, I don't think there's anything wrong with um, basically getting like more bites of the apple, uh, so to speak, by turning this asset into more future assets. Uh, so I'd say I like it from both of, from both perspectives. Um, I think the Sixers get better right now at a time where they would probably like to start getting better, and I think that uh, the Celtics kicking it down the kicking the can down the road, um, either from a perspective of being able to draft their own players in the future at a time that makes more sense for them, or being able to like just have more assets to, th- to throw into a deal for a superstar. Uh, I think that makes a ton of sense for them as well. So. Um, I think it, like you said, it's far too soon to try and judge a winner or a loser here. But I'd be really surprised if either team actually loses on this on this deal. Yeah, that's my exact perspective. And as you mentioned, you know, if the Celtics use the asset they get or the assets they get from the 76ers to make a trade for a star player, then that probably changes the dynamic of the trade. But I think both teams are winners here for now. At least it's again, it's hard to evaluate. Um, trades that involve picks and soon to be rookies but um, you know if the Celtics aren't sold on, on using the number one pick on Fultz then they sh- they should not be blamed or criticized for moving down two spots and getting another future first round pick um, especially if they think they're good they would like you know maybe Josh Jackson at three and they think they can get him at three you know why not just trade down two spots to get the same play you could have you always wanted and then get a future first round pick you know to maybe build for the future or use that for a trade it's interesting because the Celtics can go in two different ways here they can just kind of stay the course and you know be a good team but wait to strike when the Cavs are even more vulnerable or they can use those assets that they have to strike right now and it'll be interesting to see as we mentioned earlier in the podcast how these front offices are right now in this moment this offseason is really big for a lot of teams you know depending on when they're going to try and strike against the Cavs and the Warriors and the Celtics obviously now have you know two different ways they could go in that direction Um, but looking at the Sixers now you know with that core um, of Fultz, Simmons and Embiid obviously guys like Sarge and Covington are still there but how do you think this new Sixers core kind of stacks up to the other good young cores that are really talked about in the league? You know, a lot of people mention the Timberwolves and the Bucks as the two teams with a lot of really good young talent. Where would you put the Sixers if you had to rank those three teams in terms of their young core? I know we haven't really seen Fultz or Simmons on an NBA court yet, but just hypothetically, where would you put the Sixers in the ranks between the Timberwolves and the Bucks? Uh, I would say ceiling-wise, I think the Sixers are top of the line uh, among those three teams. Uh, the Bucks are. I think that there's a lot of uh, a lot of peril going forward with um, Jabari Parker's knee. Um, yeah. That concerns me. Uh, I mean, 
Jonas has you know plenty of plenty of room and plenty plenty of opportunity to grow and develop further. Um, but you know, I I think that as far as uh, the core around him, um, there's more da- downside and more potential that maybe like a ceiling has already been reached. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas you know, any team with a healthy Embiid becomes uh, at least fascinating and something of a threat pretty much every night. Um, you know, and that's just Embiid along with like the sort of ramshackle roster they threw together around him last <laughs> year. Um, we don't know what Simmons is. We don't know what Fultz is. Uh, but if those guys are anywhere close to what they project to be, um, this is a very interesting team weighing down with like 22-year-olds, 22 and younger, really. Um, so I would I would prefer the Sixers core uh, from an upside perspective uh, over both the, the Wolves and the Bucks. I mean, the, the Wolves are more or less, you know, they've, they've got point guard issues to sort through, of course, but uh, from a talent perspective, um, you know, I mean, they were better when Zach Levine went down, for one thing. That's a concern as far as mm-hmm. uh, future growth goes. Um, so I, I, I think you got to go with the Sixers. I think that Embiid is probably the best player on any of those three teams, if he's healthy, um, if he's able to stay healthy for an entire season. Um, so uh, I, I think that that plus the the basically the mystery boxes that are um, Simmons and Fultz, uh, I, I think they're extremely compelling. Yeah, and I, would have, I have to agree with you. I'd probably put the Sixers at the top of the list in terms of ceiling. Obviously, there are those injury concerns with Embiid and Simmons. So, you know, if it happens that Embiid can never play more than 60 games in a season or never play more than 30 minutes per game for 50 to 60 games per season, that that is a concern and that, that will kind of, you know, lower their ceiling as a core. But, you know, you have to like the fit of Fultz and Simmons and Embiid. Obviously, they got other good young players like Saric there. Um so I'd probably put the Sixers, and then I'd probably put the, the Wolves, and then I'd probably put the Bucks last because, as you said, those serious concerns with Jabari Parker. The Wolves had their concerns with Zach Levine, both you know being better with him off and the injury. Um, you know, obviously Carl Anthony Towns is a stud, but I'm not a huge, huge fan of Andrew Wiggins. So I'd probably go Sixers, Timberwolves, and then Bucks. Um, all right. So since we got a Pistons expert here, we gotta have to shed some you have to shed some info or your opinion on the Pistons both related to the draft and free agency let's start with the draft the Pistons have the 12th pick so who are some players that you're looking or you would like the Pistons to draft this year uh right now my my preferred trio of guys that I'm kind of looking at in that 12th spot would be uh, Donovan Mitchell uh Luke Kennard and uh I can't believe that this name is of uh, Zach Collins. I was uh-huh. just having to look this name up, uh, which is funny because I wrote about him last night. Um, so yeah, I'd say in that order, those are the three that I'm most locked in on uh, for the Pistons at twelve. Yeah, um, you know there were some rumors that the Pistons were looking to trade that pick for a win now veteran. Um, what, what were you? What are your thoughts on them possibly doing so? Well, right now. Um, D'Angelo Russell is the name that, at mm-hmm. least in uh, Pistons fandom, is really kind of bouncing around. We uh, on Piston Powered, we've got two pieces up right now that uh, mm. sort of discuss the possibility of and how it would work if uh, the Pistons traded that pick for D'Angelo Russell. Um, you know, I mean, as far as a win now veteran, 
he might not exactly be what the Pistons are uh, are looking for with that terminology. But at the same time, like uh, due to the value of a 12th overall draft pick, which is probably not as high as a lot of people think, um, mm-hmm. and the fact that the Pistons don't have cap space whatsoever, uh, there's no just like flipping a pick for a guy who can go and win you games. Um, there's going to be there's going to be salary considerations. There's going to be moving pieces back and forth. There's going to be the fact that if you want to be winning the trade on talent, um, that you are going to have to be probably like buying some upside because like a 12th overall pick is just not going to really move the needle all that far. So um, I think maybe something along those lines might make sense for for the Pistons. You know, I I tend to be pessimistic as far as like actual deals going through, especially for the Pistons, because like right now there's there's no flexibility and the 12th overall pick is not that compelling. Um, so uh, if the Pistons did make some sort of move, say sending uh, Ish Smith's salary and the 12th pick to the Lakers for D'Angelo Russell and the 28th pick, um, I'd be happy with that. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think that that's kind of kind of the ceiling of what the Pistons can hope for, and that's pretty high because D'Angelo Russell will probably be what, maybe a top seven pick in this draft, even at his age of 21. Yeah, I think Russell gets a pretty bad rep on Twitter. I'm not saying he's, you know, going to be great. I think he does have, you know, good potential, and I think that would be a, a good move for the Pistons, but a lot of people have been slandering Russell's name um, on NBA Twitter recently, especially has been his name has been thrown around in trade rumors. Um, looking at the draft, the final question about the draft, kind of more general, looking at, you know, the potential lottery picks, are, is there a player or maybe multiple players that you think are being underrated uh, or overrated? Um... A little while ago, I said Laurie Markkinen is probably being underrated, but uh, now I'm seeing him like mocked at like seven, eight, somewhere in that range. Uh, probably nine is like as far as he falls. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that people have been sleeping on him, and uh, I, I know that he's a seven footer who doesn't really rebound, which is kind of obnoxious. <laughs> but uh, he's a transcendent shooter. Um, you can't block his shot. Uh, he's one of the best shooters over six ten in NCAA history for a very good reason. Um, he, his footwork is great. He's, I, I think that uh, Markkinen is going to be... Uh, once upon a time, he was projected to fall like, as far as 11th or 12th. I think that if some team got him at 11 or 12, uh, they would be completely delighted. And I think that he's going to be a really good player. And I think that... Um, I think maybe he's been underrated a little bit for, for too long. Um, and I think that's kind of correcting itself. And I think that as we're getting so close to the draft, I think players are starting to shake out sort of where they should belong. Um, you know, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, there probably would be a lot more players who are under or overrated, at least, like, mm-hmm. uh, if you were to ask some of the draft experts, which I certainly am not, I, <laughs> I know a little bit about, like, the top three, and I know a little bit about, like, 10, 11, 12, <laughs> so um, that's pretty much where I'm at. I, uh, much like the trades, um, I, I'm just kind of waiting to see what's going to happen as far as uh, knowing where I'm going to put my research into. I, I, I tend to be more of a reactionist to this sort of mm-hmm. thing than a, pro- a prognosticator. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same here. Interesting that you uh, mentioned Mark Hannon. Um, 
the, as we're recording on my phone, I got this notification. Waj is reporting that the Knicks are interested in him with the number eight pick because they are not ruling out trading Kristaps Porzingis after having recent conversations. Uh, so you can really never leave your phone alone uh, at this time of year in the NBA offseason because you never know what kind of rumors or uh, news or stories or breaking news you're going to get. But that would be interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so... That's enough about the draft. We're both not experts on the draft, so I don't want to kind of get into uh, uncharted territory for both of us. But uh, let's look ahead to free agency um, because this could be both, uh, you know, it could be a really exciting, interesting, uh, you know, league-shifting free agency, but it also could be a pretty boring and uneventful free agency, especially in terms of the star players. Um, so we obviously have the Paul George news. He came out, it was leaked over the weekend that he's told the Pacers he's going to be leaving in 2018, preferring to go to the Lakers. So, you know, th- and as soon as that happened, th- I think Waj was reporting that they are actively engaged in trade talks. Obviously, a bunch of teams were interested. And, you know, I- I'd like to get your perspective on the Paul George news. Mainly, where do you expect him to be traded? And, and m- kind of a more interesting question, I think, is for how much? Because now the Pacers really don't have that kind of you know, leverage in negotiations because teams are trading for what could most likely be a rental, um, depending if they can convince him to stay in the team that he gets traded to. Um, but that lowers his trade value and, and, you know, the possible return that the Pacers could get. So, you know, where do you expect him to be traded to? And really, more interestingly, for how much? Um, well, I think that, you know, in a vacuum, sure, like his, his trade value would be reduced because the, the Pacers will have lost some of their leverage. Um, but I think that, like, I've, I believe uh, Kevin Pelton estimated like one year of uh, Paul George was worth maybe a tenth or eleventh overall draft pick. Um, you know what's interesting there is when like everybody has basically like roughly the value of a tenth or eleventh pick. Uh, I mean, even if you say like only only eleven teams do, um, you know, worst draft picks can be packaged with a player or, or what have you. Um, when a lot of teams can afford something like that, and some teams really want. A guy like Paul George, you know, look at the Cavs, who may really only have like one more year before LeBron gets sick of Dan Gilbert and mm-hmm. you know moves along uh, with good reason. Um, you know, the Cavs might have one more shot. So, like, doing anything but going all in would be uh, would be pretty preposterous, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the Cavs alone could drive up the price, and if a team like the Lakers decided that they wanted to to lock this up and get his bird right to not have to worry about cap space later, um, they could find themselves wanting to make a trade. Uh, I think that publicly they've said that the most they would go is uh, Julius Randle, uh, Jordan Clarkson, and the 28th overall pick. Uh, whether that's true or not remains to be seen. Um, I think what's really interesting there is uh, I believe Nate Duncan and, uh, and Zach Lowe both, both, uh, both said this, that it might make less sense for the Lakers to trade for him. Uh, you know, even though they're they're taking care of their cap issues by trading for him, getting his bird rights, and then being able to exceed the cap and sign him, um, he might go to the Lakers and discover that losing is really not much fun and bolt <laughs> after the uh, bolt after the off season. And you know, then the the Lakers are out assets to get him, and they're out Paul George. Um, so I I think that. The, uh, I think that the haul for him is probably fairly fluid right now. Um, my guess is that the Cavs are either going to get Paul George or Jimmy Butler. I just I think that there's 
too much momentum there, and I think that it's. Um, I think the Cavs are going to do what it takes, whether it be moving Kevin Love. Uh, now I, I understand that uh, David Griffin was uh, he was not interested in um, in moving Kyrie. I think that's how it broke down. Uh, Griffin didn't want to move Kyrie, um, but now that there's no more David Griffin, uh, you know, I'd, I'd say pretty much everything is on the table. Uh, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what the Cavs put together, what kind of offers they put together. I don't think that anything has like gone into the public as far as actual actual offers from the Cavs, uh, but once those come out, I think it's going to be pretty interesting. Yeah, and uh, there was a, I also got a notification on my phone that says, according to the Chicago Sun-Times, Jimmy Butler will push for a trade to Cavs, so that could make him the leading candidate for them to trade for. But going back to the Paul George um, kind of news, uh, when you mentioned that he might not like losing in the Lakers, I just reminded me of a funny, I think it was like, it was like a meme on Twitter, where it was like Paul George, uh, uh, it was like Paul George... Uh, I'm sick of losing Pacers, build a better team around me. And then it was like, also, Paul George, I want to go to the Lakers. Like, it doesn't make sense that he wants to go to the Lakers, even though they're going to be, you know, even if they trade for him right now, they're going to be a losing team next year. And then, you know, if he signs with them in 2018, they still could be a losing uh, team then. So it's interesting that, you know, if he really wants to win, the Lakers are not the best option for him. Um, But in terms of, you know, Paul George, you know, I think... And we'll get to the talking about the Cavs in terms of George versus Butler. Or what what do you expect the Cavs to do? But I think that you know in terms of what they could get for him. I know uh, on the low post yesterday, um, Zach Lowe was talking about the Rockets being all in on Paul George. And, and you know the Rockets are a really interesting team this offseason because everyone is talking about Daryl Morey's quote in that Zach Lowe article about the Warriors that came out. I think the same night that the Warriors won the title where Maury said that they're going to up their risk profile and that they have something up their sleeve and you know no one really knows what he means but then obviously a couple days later the CP3 meeting with the Rockets rumors come up and you know now that Paul George is certainly available um, I would not be surprised to see Daryl Maury go all in and just take a huge risk trade away a significant you know portion or aspect of the team's future maybe like Decker Eric Gordon two first round picks for George and just hope that they can convince him to stay. Um, you know, maybe with extreme, you know, cap and roster manipulation, you can trade for George and then clear enough space to get Chris Paul. It's extreme, extreme hypothetical, but I'm, I will not put it past Daryl Moore to do anything crazy or, or take a lot of risks. You know, he, he said he's going to take a risk and he says he got something up his sleeve. So it would be really fascinating if the Rockets could get involved in the Paul George rumors, because I think that he is a, he is the ideal fit next to James Harden. Um, you know, people had questions about Chris Paul's potential fit with Harden, but you know, there really should be no questions at all in terms of Paul George's fit uh, next to Harden on the Rockets. But I think it's going to be really fascinating to see what the Pacers do get for Paul George when they trade him and to who he gets traded for because while the Cavs are certainly interested in Paul George, they're also interested, obviously, in Jimmy Butler. And now, apparently, as I just said, Jimmy Butler is interested in going to the Cavs. So which player do you think that the Cavs should go after more? Who who would be a better trade target for the Cavs? Uh, I Honestly, I think it's probably Paul George. It's a little bit less enticing because he becomes a, a free agent after the season. Um, but on the other hand, you know, if if this is the last uh, last kick at it, if LeBron is gone after this season, um, trading for Paul George and then having both of them come off the books would actually not necessarily be the worst thing um, if if they're going to like switch immediately into rebuilding mode. Mm-hmm. 
Plus, I, I think that Paul George would fit really well with LeBron. I think just about everybody fits with LeBron, but I think that Paul George would fit like, extremely well. Uh, the way he can play off the ball, I think he's. Uh, I think he's. I think he's. I think he meshes. He meshes really well. Yeah, and, and Paul George is a, is a significantly better player playing off the ball than Jimmy Butler, which is why I think I agree with you. I think you just fit better, cohe- you know, be more cohesive, and he would kind of be a more natural fit instead of forcing Butler to play more off the ball, where he's not exactly that's not exactly his strong suit uh, or his preference. Um, so you know, and it would be interesting to see what it would take to trade for George versus Butler because George will be potentially a rental, uh, definitely a free agent in 2018, so it's going to be interesting to see, but I, I fully expect the Cavs to trade for one of them this summer. I think they're going to know they have to go all in next year for possibly LeBron's last year in Cleveland, you know, if he leaves in 2018, so I think they, I expect them to trade for one of them, and I agree that George, Paul George is probably a better fit for them. Sticking on the Cavs, our last Cavs-related question, I just want to get your thoughts on the Cavs. They're, quote, mutually parting ways with David Griffin. Obviously, it was probably not as amicable as that, but what are your initial thoughts after hearing that? You know, at a time when the Cavs are in a pretty important offseason in terms of, you know, putting together a trade for another star player um, and with LeBron's free agency next year and, you know, them still trying to compete with the Warriors even though they got pretty handily defeated in the finals. So what, what were your initial thoughts on this kind of significant kind of letting go or firing of, of David Griffin, basically? Um, I'm not going to make you use the censorship bleep, so I'll keep it clean. <laughs> <laughs> um... I think that uh, I think that Dan Gilbert treated David Griffin shamefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that it was known all along that Griffin was not going to be retained, and I think that blocking multiple teams from contacting him about their open general manager positions or president of basketball operation positions, uh, I think that blocking him from talking to those teams while intending to not retain him going forward is absolutely shameful. Mm-hmm. I think it's reprehensible. And um, I think that uh, big pockets or not, um, I think that it's... Uh, ex- I, I think that it describes pretty well um, the kind of person that Dan Gilbert is. Uh, if you look at... yeah, you know, I don't want to get into business later as well, but I mean, Quicken Loans is notably predatory. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think that uh, a guy who can um, make his fortune on that business model, uh, you know, we're aware of what Dan Gilbert is as far as a quality human being, and uh, you know, if and when LeBron bolts next season, um, I hope Cavs fans don't take it personally. But um, I think that they would probably want to get as far away from a guy like that as possible, um, given the opportunity as well. So, um, yeah, screw Dan Gilbert. <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was. I thought it was despicable, really. I just thought it was. I mean, insulting, despicable, disrespectful, horrible treatment of other humans in their careers. I mean, it was just such a horrible move, and I, I really can't. I can't le- blame LeBron for leaving if he does eventually leave, and main, and if that main reason for leaving is Dan Gilbert. I will. I will fully agree with LeBron James if he leaves because Gilbert is just I mean, not a good human being on this earth. Um, so let's. That's enough Cavs talk, enough negativity, enough slandering, but uh, let's t- kind of look more general free agency. We do have some big names that will be free agents this summer. Now, whether or not they leave, th- that remains to be seen, but I'm just going to throw a couple of names at you, and I'd like to get your take on, you know, which, if any of them, do you expect to actually sign with another team? 
Gordon Hayward, Blake Griffin, Chris Paul, Paul Millsap, Serge Ibaka, Kyle Lowry. Do you expect any of those big names to sign elsewhere, and, and if so, which players? Um, I think that CP3, I think Chris Paul would be the most interesting to sign elsewhere. Um, I think Paul Millsap might be the most likely to sign mm-hmm. elsewhere, but I think he's going to have to take less money than he's hoping for. Um, I I think that Gordon Hayward to Miami would be fascinating too. I, I just... I'm just kind of like spitballing different things that I think would be interesting. As far as like the most likely, though, I'm not sure. I think that free agency might be somewhat, um, somewhat chalk. I think it might be uh, a bit on the boring side, but I think it was going to be interesting. I forget if we talked about this at the beginning of the recording or if we talked about this off air. Uh, but I think that I think the trade market is what's going to be really fascinating. I, there might not be a whole lot of free agent movement because there just isn't as much cap space as there was last year. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as far as like excess money to throw around. I think just about everybody had their big splash last season. Um, and the teams that didn't either won't be able to woo a uh, Gordon Hayward or a Kyle Lowry or a Chris Paul or uh, or they're not really in their, their plans going forward. So, um, yeah. I have this feeling that the most of the big free agents are going to return to their uh, their incumbent teams, but I think that the trade market is what's going to go crazy. Yeah, and and hope that hopefully we do get a, you know, if we don't get an exciting free agency, we hope I hope we get an exciting trade market. If we don't get an exciting trade market, I hope we get an exciting free agency because, um, you know, as I think we talked off air or actually at the beginning of the show. I mean, the first week of the quote unquote off season has already been hectic, so it would be really disappointing if we actually get to the start of free agency and it gets pretty boring. But, um, in terms of you know, I think that I agree. I think Chris Paul would be the most interested in leaving elsewhere for a team that, you know, maybe like the Spurs, just somewhere where he thinks he has a better chance. Um, ultimately, it's going to be really hard for him to pass up the extra money that the Clippers can offer. They just brought in Jerry West. They're going to get it. They just got, you know, I think they just got an agreement for a new arena in the next two years. So there are the Clippers are putting in pieces to try and get Chris Paul to stay. And obviously, the money is the, the biggest factor. Um, I agree with Paul Millsap. I think that Millsap could be possibly the most likely to actually sign with a different team. The Hawks, I think, publicly came out and said, you know, I don't think we're going to offer him, or we wouldn't sign him to like a max t- contract or something like that. And I agree that I think that Millsap will probably find it that a lot of teams are going to try and ask him to take less money, and we'll see if he wants to do that to either return to the Hawks or go somewhere else. You know, maybe the Hawks want to rebuild and try and unload Dwight Howard. I don't know if they can, but that could be a direction they take. And, you know, the Raptors are an interesting case because I think it was yesterday that Real GM reported that uh, Kyle Lowry is, or Kyle Lowry's agent has been telling teams that he has no interest in returning with the Raptors. Obviously, I think 20 minutes later, Lowry tweeted out something saying, don't believe what you read or something. Um, but between him and Ibaka, and then they also got other free agents like Patrick Patterson and P.J. Tucker, that could become a very expensive team, um, but a team that really was, was swept by the Cavs easily in the second round, which proves that it really isn't of close to seriously contending, especially with the Celtics probably getting better, the Wizards still there, the Bucks probably improving. So, I think that one of Ibaka and Lowry could actually be likely to move because I don't think the Raptors want to spend that much um, if they realize that you know their team isn't really that close to competing, especially if Lowry doesn't have that much interest in returning. Um, and then looking, I think Blake Griffin's going to go back to LA. I think he loves you know playing in LA, having all the marketing and sponsorship you know commercial you know that comes with playing in LA in a big market and being a star player that's really marketable. 
And then Gordon Hayward's an interesting one because obviously everyone's speculating the Celtics are going to go hard after him, especially with his connection with Brad Stevens, and he could be a nice natural fit there. Um, it's really hard. I think it's kind of harder than most people think to predict where Hayward will go. I think it's obviously between the Jazz and the Celtics with the Heat probably trying to fight their way in there. Um, I think ultimately I think he's going to return to Utah. But I would not be surprised if he goes to the Celtics with that Stevens connection and he sees that, you know, the Cavs are weaker than the Warriors and maybe in the next year LeBron falls off a little bit more significantly. So the Celtics time to strike with a team that's still relatively young and has a lot of assets to trade for another star. So ultimately, I I agree that I think it could be a pretty boring free agency and a a more exciting trade market. But I I wouldn't be surprised if, if guys like Millsap... Um, and Ibaka switch teams. Um, you know, I can't really come up with teams off the top of my head because um, I haven't really looked at the teams who would have natural cap space or would want those players. But I ultimately think I agree with you that it would probably be uh, a more exciting trade market than a free agency market, um, which kind of bodes well for a bunch of teams that I'm going to ask you about now. My next question is kind of which team that is kind of a quote-unquote near contender. So I guess you can throw in the Rockets, the Celtics, the Spurs, um, maybe I guess you can consider the Jazz, um, or if you want to consider the Wizards, depending on how you view a contender. Um, uh, which team that is a quote-unquote near contender do you expect to really go for it this offseason? You know, as we talked about earlier, it's going to be interesting to see which teams kind of plan for the future versus which teams go in on right now with the Warriors probably in their prime, the Cavs still probably the most dominant force, the second most dominant force in the league. So which team do you think that out of those teams that is a uh, near contender, do you expect to really, really go for it this offseason? Uh, well, I believe Daryl Morey when he says that he's got something up his sleeve. Um, I think that uh, I think the Rockets will probably make uh, a, a big push. Um, Zach Lowe in the low post yesterday, which was, of course, just loaded with great content, mm-hmm. uh, as usual. Um, Zach Lowe was ex- expressing the, uh, the sentiment that I kind of feel similar to, that um, he doesn't really know what the path forward, what the way for the Rockets um, to make like a big push would be. Um, but he also says, those guys are smarter than me, and if anybody knows what it is, <laughs> it's the Rockets. That's where I'm at with them. Like, I don't know exactly like what, um, what the Rockets have in mind, I think that it's probably going to be way outside the box, and um, so I mean, I think there's going to be like some elements that uh, we in the general public, fan, analyst, uh, what have you, um, realm. I I think that there is probably more than meets the eye to what they have uh, available to them, and I, it's beyond me to try and guess what it might be, but um, I think that the Rockets, I think they do in fact have like some sort of a big push in them. Uh, the Spurs, I don't know if, I'm not sure if you mentioned this earlier, but I just got a notification a couple minutes ago um, that Pau Gasol opted out of his $16 million contract mm-hmm. uh, for the Spurs. That means that they have, uh, by my rough math, they have about $25 million in cap space right now. Um, so that's that's not enough to get Chris Paul necessarily, but it's a start. Um, if you move Danny Green's $10 million now all of a sudden you've got just about I'm trying to remember what his year one max would be but it's right in the $35 million range I think um, that uh, that's the first stumbling block right there for the, the Spurs to go after uh, Chris Paul so I think the Spurs now have like a real tangible um, ammunition to be able to go and do something whether it be Chris Paul whether it be something else um, you know they, they have this way of 
getting what they want in free agency in the last few years. Um, whether it's what's good for them or not, uh, they, they tend to get what's good, what they want in free agency. Um, so uh, those are the two th- teams that I think would probably be the most likely like right now to make a push for it. I think Boston sees their window um, as like the post-LeBron era, uh, if, if that era even exists. Uh, but I, I think that they've, they've identified their window as being like two to three years from now, perhaps. Um, while like having the benefit of being able to be like highly competitive all along, uh, you know they don't have to go out and try to lose in order to like build up draft picks and assets or anything like that. Like they've got the Brooklyn Nets, like this constantly feeding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they're they're uh, they're going to be okay as far as assets go, even if they perform really well on the floor, which is like a tremendous benefit for them. Um, you know, like. They they're probably a couple of years ahead of schedule as far as like how quickly they got good again. Um, I think that Brad Stevens is a big part of that. I think Danny Ainge has done a great job. I think that the players they've got have been um, remarkably prone to development, uh, which is I'd say a pretty good uh, indictment of the organization from top to bottom. You know, um, Ainge yeah. gets the guys who Brian Stevens can get the most out of. And I think that that's a, a really good sort of reciprocal relationship. Um, so that said, I think they're going to continue to be really good and they're going to be, continue to be competitive, but they're not about to go and try and make a run at being one of the best teams ever, which is what it's going to take. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that the Celtics are in such a unique position to be a really good team. They were number one in the conference this year. Obviously, that plays a part with because of the Cavs resting and not really taking the regular season seriously. But they were, I think they had 52 to 53 wins, uh, or maybe, um, and they were number one in the conference. And yet, here they go. They got the number one pick this year. A very good chance of the number one pick next year with the Nets. It's such a unique position for a team that's really good to already have these great assets. So I think they're going to, you know, buy their time and, and, you know, take it and kind of play it by ear, I guess, and see how the Cavs do and how LeBron continues to to play as he gets older. I'm fully on board with chaos from the Houston Rockets this offseason. I, I want chaos from Daryl Morey. I want crazy ideas. I want ideas that will be completely torn apart by the public and on NBA Twitter. I mean, I just when you say that you have something up your sleeve, you can't just go out and sign, you know, an everyday average player that that actually fits on your team. You've got to do something crazy, whether that's trading for a player that there were no rumors about, or players that you know seem to have no fit with the Rockets and James Harden, but are interested in joining the team. Once Daryl Morey said that quote to Zach Lowe, I mean, I have had chaos in my mind for the Rockets for about the last week, and I almost can't really contain myself to wait until July 1st for, you know, we're going to get that 1230 notification. The Rockets are meeting with so-and-so, and everyone's like, where did that come from? And, uh, you know, Daryl Morey is just smirking, you know, behind the scenes, but uh, uh, I'm fully on board from chaos for the Houston Rockets. Um, all right, our final question of today's episode of the 94 Feet Report, and, and the final question related to free agency, we're going to go back to the Pistons. Um, I guess my general question is, what are you looking for the Pistons to do in free agency? Um, you know, there were some disappointment, disgruntledness with Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond. You know, you know they could be involved in any free agency move. But what what are you looking for, and what do you really expect for the Pistons to do in free agency? Uh, first things first, they're going to have to resign KCP. Um, I, I did a fairly detailed breakdown a week or so ago on uh, why it, it's not just a foregone conclusion, but why this is like a necessity. Uh, essentially, I, I visualized you know, the future if the Pistons uh, were to 
you know, say they decided that his late season swoon where he actually was like in the running with Reggie for uh, worst piston on the team. Um, maybe they the, the, they decided that that was uh, what they decided the real KCP was, and um, you know, in this alternate universe, this alternate future, uh, perhaps the Brooklyn Nets offer him the max, uh, twenty five million dollars, and the Pistons are like, uh, that's thanks, but no thanks, mm-hmm. and let him walk. Um, in this scenario, um, the Pistons would still be over the cap. Uh, they would be able to find some savings and get under the cap if they uh, renounced the rights to um, Darren Hilliard, Michael Benajay, and Aaron Baines, who opted out this morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's a free agent. Um, they would then have, I believe, nine roster spots and just over $2 million to fill out those. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> You know, even if the Pistons move on from KCP later this season or something like that, you still have to get him under contract. Uh, letting him walk is not an option. Um, no matter what Pistons fans think who say, we'll give him $10 million and no more than that, which is a response that I've gotten quite frequently. <laughs> um, that's not how it works. It is absolutely not how it works. Um, essentially, in this case, it doesn't matter what Pistons fans or even what the organization thinks that uh, KCP's value is. Um, his value is basically what the Brooklyn Nets decided is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's first and foremost. Beyond that, the Pistons have a mid-level exception, uh, which they may probably choose to use less than all of uh, in order to avoid restrictions that kick in from using the, the full mid-level exception when you're, uh, when you're over the gap. Um, so they will basically be trying to fill up the roster with uh, like some portion probably make, the, uh, the mini mid level, or uh, like veteran minimum con- uh, pickups, uh, former Piston and also former now Sacramento King Anthony Tolliver got released a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, so he's a free agent. He might be somebody the Pistons can get uh, that would fit like either the uh, the mini mid level, or you know obviously you can get anybody from the veteran exception if they'll if they'll sign for the minimum. Uh, so um, you know they've. They've really got very little flexibility, but they do they do have the ability to add some pieces um, to like these cheap signings. So um, you know, it, it's very likely that they're going to basically roll back the same group next season, and I think that's probably what makes the most sense. Uh, give them give them one more season to see if Reggie Jackson's knee can come around, and if not, mm-hmm. then that's when you blow it up. But you don't blow it up this summer; you wait until probably like December or January to do so. Yeah, I was, I was just going to ask you, like, you know, they did shop. I think there were rumors about them trying to trade Reggie Jackson during the middle of this season. Um, I think it was the Magic who were interested, or I, I think off the top of my head. Um, do, do you think, uh, you know, you said not to blow it up this summer and just wait to see, run it back and see if he can, you know, stay get healthy and, and play a little bit better to the level of t- previous seasons. Um, do you think if they were to shop him this offseason, there would be kind of a market for Jackson? I think he makes, does he make like $16 million a year, I think, or is that yeah, something like that? Um I don't think there's any market for him right now. I think the teams are going to want to see if, like, he's got anything left before they try trading for him. And I think the Pistons, like, I mean, you can always, like, you can move a guy if you need to move a guy, but, like, it's going to come at a cost. Mm-hmm. Um, I think right now Jack, uh, Reggie's trade value is basically, like, bottom of the barrel. Um, so rather than selling as low as possible, which would be what they'd be doing right now if they were to make a move with, uh, with Reggie, um, 
there's nothing to be harmed by waiting to see uh, if he's got something left, and then either like you know you think your lucky star is and you continue with Reggie Jackson as your starting point guard, or you have a Reggie Jackson with a somewhat elevated trade value. Um, like right now, like you don't sell low on Reggie Jackson. You at least see if there's something to work with there, and if there is, then you can decide if you want to keep him or if you want to trade him for you know something that isn't going to be worse in return. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I mean, now isn't the time. There's nothing to be lost by holding on to Reggie Jackson until, like I said, like December or January, give him time to like get his feet under him in season on the court, see what he's got, if he's got something great. Otherwise, you can trade him for the exact same bucket of bolts <laughs> in January that you would get for him now, uh, but you have the shot of getting something more later. Yeah, for the Pistons, I think probably one of the most interesting things of their offseason would be what they do with that number 12 pick. Again, the draft is Thursday, two days away. Duncan, I'd like to thank you for once again joining the 94 Feet Report. Um, Before you go, I guess it'd be great if you could throw out where people can follow you on social media and then where they can find uh, your work on the various websites. Sure. Um, You can follow me at Duncan Smith NBA. Uh, I I, uh, I run com. You can find my work there. You can also uh, listen to me every day if you are so inclined, uh, Monday through Friday on the, the Lockdown Distance, which I host. Um, so please, any one of those or all of those different venues, uh, hit me up. Yeah, everyone make sure to follow Duncan, especially on Twitter. He does really great uh, Twitter analysis, even though it's only in 140 characters. Um, but make sure to li- lo- listen to Lockdown Pistons, Piston Power for some great Pistons content. 16 Wins Ring is also a great website as well. So everyone follow Duncan and follow all of his work. All right, Duncan, thanks for joining us on the 94 Feet Report. Anytime, Eric. My pleasure.